0: A happy 4th of July and those watching by live stream, a happy 4th to you. I began on this Independence Day from a vignette from the life of children. One little guy is leaning against a tree and he's talking to one of his neighborhood buddies. His first child says to the second child, you know what security is? Second child says, beats me. He said, security is when you're little like us and you've been somewhere with your mama and daddy and it's night, it's dark and it's stormy outside, but you're asleep in the back seat and they do all of the worrying for you. When you come home, uh, you're asleep, They." draw you up out of the back seat and they carry you to your bedroom and then in the morning you wake up and it's quiet and peaceful. Second boy says, that's real neat. First boy says, but it doesn't last. (laughs) You have to grow up, the first boy said to the second. You become an adult like our moms and dads become, and you can never be in the back seat again. You always have to be in the front seat from then on. You can never be in the back seat again, he says again. Second boy says, never. First boy says, never. They both pause, they realize some of the angst That they're talking about. The first boy then says to the second boy, hold my hand. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? You and I grow up into adulthood and we begin to feel the angst of what it is to take on our destiny and responsibility, to take hold of ourselves, to begin to exercise the life that we've been given. But it's not always easy, is it? There are days when you and I have setback and where our foibles show through, our weak sides show up. As we celebrate another national birthday, it's an honest appraisal about us corporately and individually to say that we're not always strong and we're not always powerful. Just check the news, or check your pulse, or check your bank account, or check your relationships, or check the measure of civility or lack thereof. Now, there are several responses to be sure as we move from the, front, from the back seat to the front seat. Many people then hide themselves away behind security fences and locked doors. Some people just give in to their fears and anxiety. Do you know people like that? They live in anxious presence. They seem to always be worried about this, that, or the other. While others take on an atlas syndrome. You remember Atlas. Atlas was the one who put the whole world on his shoulders, bending him over as if he could carry the burdens and cares of everyone. Do you know people like that? Maybe a few in your family who take on not only their burdens, but they think they can fix yours? Watch out for the fixers. The atlas syndrome some respond with just blame and shame you know how that works blame and shame is it must be all my fault you might have a few of those in your family they're always commiserating it must be all my fault i had a mother like that or Opposite what we hear a lot of these days, it must be everyone else's fault. (laughs) In the midst of these realities, the Apostle Paul has some good words for us as he writes his second letter to the Corinthians. He lets us know, the Corinthians and us in that wonderful letter, that he's had his own setbacks. He's had to go from the back seat to the front seat, and it's not always pleasurable. For him, it was three shipwrecks being beaten by rods, imprisoned at least three times, persecuted, and then now, he says, I have a thorn in the flesh. There's been a lot of guesstimations as to what kind of thorn the Apostle Paul's talking about. No one really knows, including my own New Testament professors. Oh, they took guesses at it. But the bottom line is Paul's having some difficult days. And he's talking out loud about it. I've had some setbacks. Now I have a thorn in the flesh. I've appealed several times, he tells the Corinthians, about these setbacks and traumas in my life. And here's what I got from God. God said back to me, In the middle of your trials, I want you to know that grace is sufficient, that power and strength are made perfect in weakness. The Apostle Paul is writing these words because he wants all of us who've had our own versions of setback to know that grace is sufficient. God's grace then meets us in our insufficiency and brings us a measure of strength and forbearance. Doesn't come easy though. We have some lessons to learn about the sufficiency of grace. When I first started out in my ordained ministry, a young college kid came to me for counseling. To be sure, I wasn't much older than he was at the time. I remember him growing up. He was an acolyte in high school. He came to visit me after his second year in college. He had discovered some difficult parts of his life. He wanted to explore that, share that with me. He wanted me to know that he had flunked a couple courses in college. He thought there was a weak side in his belly, his character, his mind was not working right. He was all anxious and troubled. He said, it's funny. I had a lot more self-assurance and confidence when I was in high school than I do now. I blurted out, I think there's a reason for that. At 18, you were ignorant. That wasn't my best pastoral moment, by the way. (laughs) You had the world by the tail. You were a letter sweater, a star football player, a great student, you're handsome, all the kids loved you. And guess what? Now there's some trials. Join the human race, I said to him. There's some men who don't learn what you're learning until they're much older. Appreciate the learnings, I said. Rejoice, you're learning about grace. What's that, he said. Simply put, I said back to him as grace meets you when you think that you can invent your own life, when you can make it up as you go, when you can sort of by your own grit and ingenuity make a life, that's when you and I falter and fail. And that's where grace meets us. It meets us as beloved children of God and draws the best out of us. Paul said, grace is sufficient, strength and power are made perfect in weakness. What does that have to say to us as a nation on this Independence Day or as a church here at St. John's Cathedral? or as individuals making our way in our journey of faith. First, it has something to say to a nation, specifically today to the United States of America. Are we powerful, we might ask? And what makes us strong? Paul would answer, Your strength has to do with humility. Your strength has to do with service. He's right, isn't it? As we look back in our history, we were the best. We had the best angels when our country was in a posture of serving, not just ourselves, but those beyond our shores. As we gathered in that faltering way back 13 colonies, gathered ourselves into a young country, and then had the aud- audacious dream to live according to a government by, for the people. We began this experiment. Oh, to be sure, we've had our setbacks. We've had our moments of angst when we went from the back seat to the front seat. As we gathered after the Civil War and regathered ourselves to have a new beginning and then live through reconstruction, the industrial revolution, child labor laws, our measure of continuing racism, issues having to do with uh, finding good employment for our people. All of our strength then hinged and continues to hinge on our living into our core values. Those core values that were summed up by our forebears, that all people, not just some, all people have inalienable rights. Those rights listed in our documents are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. How are we doing? We have a ways to go, don't we? To live into our core values. To take hold of the strength that is listed on the bottom of the Statue of Liberty, where we have some more core values. Keep ancient lands, you storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free the wreathed refuge of your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. How about our church? What does grace sufficiency say to us? It says to all of us, beginning with our dean, that we're called upon to live into our core values. Our dean rightly named one of those values some years ago as love at the core. Every week when the staff meets for staff meetings for prayer, we ask ourselves, where have we been loving at the core as a congregation? We do some assessing, some evaluating, some observing, and sometimes some critique Right, Dean Kate. We see ourselves mirrored in Christ and we wonder how we're doing. Are we loving at the core, the core of Jacksonville, the core of all the people who come here to be part of this community? Do we love at the core of the gospel? The answer hinges, of course, in staying close to Jesus to exercise the values that he gives us, the gifts and talents with which we've been endowed, the resources, the talents, the time, the energy, to be generous, to live with humility and forgiveness, offering one way love as grace would teach us. How about each of us as individuals in baptism, you and I made some promises, some startling and transformative promises. We made values and, and promises to say, I'll continue in the apostles' teaching. I'll persevere in resisting evil. I will proclaim by word and example the good news of God and Christ. I will seek and serve Christ in all persons, and I will strive for justice and peace among all people. How are you doing? How am I doing? We respond to those promises, by the way, in the same way the Apostle Paul would, by saying, I will, by God's grace, with God's help. The Apostle Paul said grace is sufficient. Strength and power are made perfect in weakness. Frederick Buechner discovered this when he was a boy, one of our favorite writers. He had his own setbacks and trauma growing up. As he described it, a terrifically abusive alcoholic father. He was beaten often when his father was inebriated His mother sort of grabbed the things and the children one night and fled in fear. They made their way to Bermuda, no less, where they had some relatives living. Her mother, that is Frederick Beekner's maternal grandmother, was opposed to their moving to Bermuda. She thought that they should straighten up their lip, have some metal, face the trauma Stay here and take the abuse. Beekner writes, and in terms of what was humanly best, this was perhaps the soundest advice she could have given us. That we should have stayed and through sheer endurance, will, courage, to put our lives back together by becoming as strong as she herself was. But, he writes, When it comes to putting broken lives back together, the human best tends to be at odds with the holy best. To do for yourself the best that you have in you to do, to grit your teeth, to clench your fists in order to survive the world at its worst, is by that very act to be unable to let something be done for you and in you. The trouble with stealing yourself against the harshest of realities is that the same steel that secures your life against being destroyed, secures your life also against being open to God's grace. I want you to hear this last line that beekner wrote about this portion of his life. He writes, you can survive on your own but you can't be human on your own. We all need the sufficiency of grace. So my friends, we've all that I know in this space and maybe at home also, have moved from the back seat to the front seat. Can we hear the Apostle Paul's word from God, my grace is sufficient. It will make you strong and powerful in a perfect way when you discover your weakness, that is your need of God's grace. May it be so for our country, for our church and for each of us as individuals, amen.